reasons. But one of the reasons why Paul didn't lose, he talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And if you want to look in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, okay, um, one of the reasons why we don't lose heart is he's given us something. He says, since we have this ministry. I want to talk about what that means and what that's all about, okay? So if you would read this with me. Um, Paul has not only been defending the gospel. Uh, the thing about it, are, are you still with me here? Um, I know you're looking it up, so get your Bible open. If you're using your app on your phone, make sure you've got it there and not be distracted by pop-ups and stuff, okay? So we want to focus on the Lord here. The thing is, is... Um, that uh, in this chapter and in this book, dealing with the Corinthians, there were a lot of people who were like, it goes on today. The Bible said it would. They are not teaching God's truth accurately. There's some truth, but some error. Now, how are you going to know that if you don't stay in the word yourself? How are you going to know that? How are you going to keep from being led astray? Now, you could be led astray in a lot of things in life, but not this one. This one's beyond everything because this deals with not just your life and your purpose for life, but your eternity. I don't want to get this wrong. And uh, that, so it could be discouraging. I'm, I'm amazed that Paul wasn't so discouraged because these churches like in Corinth and churches that he helped plant or trained those who did plant those churches. In no time, there were crazy stuff going on and crazy and weird people. Causing problems. And now, it's no wonder that we have them from time to time. I mean, I'm thinking if churches that Paul himself planted and trained the leadership are those who planted the churches were, plant, were trained by him and Peter and John. And if those churches had problems and difficulties, I figure we're going to as well. Right? You don't think so, do you? Okay. We don't, not us, no. No, we do. But we've got to do like, the, how do you approach it? How did, how did he keep from getting discouraged with everything you see going on around you? We've got to keep the right focus. So this, this message is really about having the right and the proper focus, perspective. We're going to be doing some lessons on Wednesday night that deal with the whole perspective, God's perspective, right? The greatest story is the story of his glory. It's about him. He's our focus. It's about focus and perspective and motivation. All right, let's read this. Um, he's been defending the gospel and himself really as apostle and a teacher. In verse 1 of chapter 4, he says this. And I'm reading from the ESV. So you follow along whatever you have there. Uh, it says, Therefore, having this ministry... By the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let 
light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's go through this, all right? Because what was it that kept Paul from, from fainting? I think the old King James maybe says faint. We faint not. Or just giving up. The, the word literally means to lose heart, to be discouraged. We're going to talk about that. What kept him from that in all the conflicts? He, he knew what he possessed in Jesus Christ. And instead of complaining about what he didn't have, instead of just complaining about all the problems that were going on around him, Paul rejoiced in what he did have. And it's one of the first things we need to do is we focus in this message, in this study, to be equipped to take it from here and apply it into our lives, is the thing he says, he goes, therefore, having this ministry, we have something. I want to focus on what I have and what God has given me, amen? And that's what he does. That's why he says, I don't lose heart. So proper perspective, the proper focus and motivation is what we're talking about here. All right, so there's several words going to come out. One of the first one is because I don't lose heart because I have this motivation, right? What motivates you? What gets you going? What is it that keeps you going when you don't feel like it? All right, now the thing about it is today people aren't as motivated as it seems like they used to be. I mean, we just want, we just want to coast in life. We just, somehow we get this mentality, everything should be just laid out there for us and, and we just take it easy, you know, but, uh, and, and, and I don't know, maybe the, you know, that, that, that's the thing. If, if you get hungry enough, if you get cold enough in the winter, it ought to motivate you to get out and work and do something to change that. It ought to motivate, you're just not hurting bad enough that we hear that a lot. They're just not hurting bad enough. Um, but what is it that motivates us? And we need to be. I don't know. It just, it just feels like a lot of times if people don't feel like doing something, they don't think they have to. Right? Wow. You guys that have had career military guys, you couldn't get by with that when you were in service there, could you? It doesn't matter how you feel. <laughs> right? Oh, we could hear some stories, couldn't we? Ah. So this thing of motivation is key because there are things that we need to do. There are things that we need to be that aren't going to be easy. And because we're in this sinful flesh, there are a lot of times we're not going to feel like it. Okay? If you only do, and if you only, like, even if you only eat the food that you feel like eating, I mean, I would be eating chips and dip and, and cake and <laughs> ice cream and, you know what I'm saying? Right, I can bring all of these things that surround it. And as we look at this and what's going on in Corinth, what's going on in Paul's life, as I look at the language and the grammar and everything, I see that the word translated ministry, we throw that word around all the time, don't we? Ministry. And the ministry. It's the Greek word, diakonia. There. Wasn't that cool? I'm not trying to sound slick or anything like that. I'm just saying this because I had to look it up and even spell it out so I'd say it right. You know what that word means? It literally means service. The word ministry is an English word and it means service. We serve. True service is not something that you do for yourselves. That word doesn't mean something that you do to make you feel better. 
although it usually does. It's not something you do for yourself. It's something you do for someone else. You're giving of yourself and your resources to build or help someone else or service to God. You're doing it to glorify Him. It's about it. Now, you're going to be blessed. There's going to be benefit come back on you. Uh, by the way, we actually get a, a cousin word to this. We get the word deacon from that word. That it seems to start in the early days of Acts as there were needs and things in the church and, uh, and the people. And, and, and I guess the devil saw right quick that he, we could get these apostles so busy taking care of the needs of people that they don't have time to pray and to, to prepare and to preach the word. And so different ones were called out and uh, they were picked out by them to serve and take care of this. And that was the main area is serving the needs of others. And this became one of those offices later that Paul outlines that, um, by the way, to, for, for, to be set aside or ordained as we call it. You know what that really means? It means that you might say that I feel God has called me into this particular area of service. And the two that are mentioned by Paul is, is being a pastor or a leader, uh, a preacher, or uh, those who were in charge of serving. Because you really need to be reliable people because you're going to be dealing with money. You're going to be dealing with people's lives and things like that. And the reason why they were ordained is what we call call it, is that it's just not you saying, I'm supposed to do this because my mama told me, or because I just had a dream one night, or I just feel this way, right? It is that you feel like this, and if you're in a relationship with God, you've come to it, and then you submit yourself to those who are already accountable, those who are already doing it, and as they examine your life, they make sure that, yeah, we see God's call there, so it's not just you saying it. Others who are reliable put their stamp of approval on you, and so that gives weight to you being able to serve. So that also means we're all accountable to each other, right? I'm accountable to you and you're accountable to me and we're all accountable to each other. And we, we appoint someone to serve in certain areas. Uh, that is because we have taken a look at it, not just taking their word for it, but now we're saying, you know what? Others have looked at this and they see what I'm saying and that, that not only do they see God's call in my life, but they, they see that um, I'm solid and I'm scripturally, doctrinally solid and uh, capable and reliable to serve in whatever way that is. Right? So just thought I'd throw that in there. That's not part of the sermon, Wayne. So you can take that off my time if you're keeping up, uh, up with it. Okay, your watch has already stopped. All right, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So, uh, so think about what Christ has done for us. Okay, Think about what he's done for us. When I talk about service being something that you do for someone else, think about how God has served us. Think about how he served himself by humbling himself to come in the flesh. He took all of our sins upon himself and he paid for them on the cross. Remember Jesus said that he came not to be ministered to. Are we back yet? Not yet. That, that verse in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, that he didn't come to serve. He didn't come to be ministered to, but he came to minister and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see it there now. Thank you. Uh, he came to serve. I mean, there's a lot of people that have the attitude, somehow I'm privileged and I need to be served. But even Jesus, when he came, didn't come to be served. We're talking about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And actually gave his life as a ransom to buy you and me back out of sin. So that's what Jesus did. So if you are saved, if you have trusted Christ, and we're getting back to our motivation here, you have received his 
ministry. That is, you have received what God has done for you. I have received this. See, this is the thing about salvation. This is the thing about the relationship with God. This is so different than religion. It's about relationship. It's not about what you achieve. It's about what you receive. By faith. You've received what God has done for you. What I just talked about. You couldn't do it for yourself. So you have to receive it by faith from him and receiving his ministry on the cross for us and the power of his resurrection not only saves your eternal soul from hell, it transforms your life. I couldn't do this on my own. It changes the way you think. It changes the way, since you change the way you think, it changes the way you behave. It enables us. Enables us. Are you with me? And it motivates us to give back to him. And it's all out of his grace, all out of his mercy, all out of his love. Love is such a more powerful motivator than guilt or duty. God uses guilt for one thing, and that is to convict us of sin. And did you know, according to the Bible, I have time to get all into this now, but once you repent, confess that sin, you are forgiven of that sin, and not only are you forgiven, you're no longer guilty in God's eyes. Now, depending on what you did, you might still be in man's eyes and have consequences there. But this is, this is the way this Jesus paid for it. You don't have, you may have grown up in, some of you did, you may have grown up in a tradition to where you would have to do penance. As you have to do stuff to somehow earn uh, forgiveness. Um, that's not how God works. The reason why Jesus already did it on your behalf. That's what the gospel's all about. You don't have to do a bunch of silly things in order to get forgiven. Jesus has already done it. That's what grace is about. He did it on the cross. You trust in him. The price that he paid on the cross is applied to your life. That's a motivation now. Because of what he did for me, I want to live for him. I want to please him. I want to give back. I want not to earn anything or to pay anything back, but because I love him. See, that's what gets things moving. Because, man, I can put guilt trips on people and just browbeat and all of that. Like some preachers may be prone to do to try to get you to just show up and make you feel guilty and all that if you don't. You might show up, but things aren't going to be like they should. But when you gather because, see, by the way, we even have, we even have, what we call this when we come together, what do we call it? It's kind of funny. We call it a worship service. We call it a service. Worship service. Why do we call it that? You ever wonder that? Um, this, I mean, this is supposed to be a blessing to you. This is supposed to be to equip you. But you're not merely doing it for yourself. You're serving God. You're doing this for God. Okay, have you gotten that? I mean, it's going to bless you. It's going to help you. But you're doing it because you love him. You're serving back. And you're worshiping him. That's one reason why we call it that. Um, so now, because of what Christ did, it motivates us. And now we have the capability. We have the capability because he gives us the ability to serve him. And that's what we call ministry. We serve him. This is a worship service. And, and so oftentimes you've heard me say this. And I've been misquoted and confused about it. But I said sometimes people will leave and say, well, you know, 
I just didn't get much out of that worship service. And my question is, is what did you put into it? It wasn't for you. It was for God. What did God get out of you being here today? Did you worship him? Did you bow before him? Did you thank him? Did you praise him? This is all part of what we're talking about here. So when you shake yourself loose out of bed on Sunday morning, you should be thinking, Lord God, this is for you. This is about you, oh God. Now, it's going to help me, but I'm doing this because of you. I want to adore you. I want to worship you. I want to be equipped and I want to be taught so I can serve you on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and the rest of the week. And I want to glorify you all week long. That's what this is about. Too many of you coming to church is just a drag. It's not supposed to be a drag. See, you drag yourself out of bed. You drag yourself to the shower. You drag yourself to the car, you get dressed first. And you drag yourself in here. No wonder it's a drag. It's your fault, not everybody else's. Should get up with some enthusiasm. Lord, I get to gather with the saints. I get to gather with others in the local body of Christ. And I get to come together and we share the gifts that you've given us to minister and to do what he said as we were studying in Ephesians 4 to build one another up, right? And we get to worship you together. There's, see, see, it's hard to worship. I tell you, it's hard for me to worship God here with you if I've not worshipped him all week long. I don't come here to get it. I come here, I bring it. Bring it! Next Sunday, y'all, bring it! But there's something really amazing that happens when two or three or more are gathered and we come together. And we put this together. Isn't it powerful? And it, it just, it charges my spiritual batteries. It does. I need this. I need this. So much. Wow. So Paul has been reminding the Corinthians about the glory of the gospel. Now, chapter 3, he talks about that. Now, can I say a little something here? Uh, about the glory of the gospel being so much greater than what happened with Moses on the mountain with the law. I preached a sermon on that last February, I believe, and we did a series called Real Freedom. And the name of that message was Freedom of Access. And if you go to our website, heartvillefwbchurch.com, if you go to our website and go to sermons and you look back to last February, it's on there. And so I'm not, so I'm saving time today by telling you that. If you want to look at it and get more into chapter three, you can go and listen to that on the website. So I'm just going to take it that some of you remember that. That he's been talking about that glory was so much more. Because on the mountain, how that God's glory was there. And when Moses came back down. And then when Moses would meet with God. You remember he would, his face would be shining. And people were afraid of that, that presence of God. That shining presence of God. There's a word for that that we use. Maybe you've heard it. It's called the Shekinah. That glory and radiance of the glory of the presence of God. And the people were afraid. They looked upon it that it would die. Moses actually covered his face. The people couldn't see the glory of God. And though he's saying now, that veil is taken away through Christ. Any of us that want to can see the glory of God, even as directly as Moses did, more so. And that's kind of what he alludes to about a veil here coming up in this. So this is what he's talking about here. And this is what he's saying. This is what we've received from the Lord. We've received all of this. This is the ministry that, this, that he's served us and given us. That's what he says after he talked about this glory. The glory of God. Now, before you can do, you must be. 
I know sometimes people get that confused. Some people are so busy doing, they just can't be. Who was it came out with a song several years ago? It's called Just Be. Nobody knows. I remember hearing it. Remember it? Just be. Okay, you can Google it after a while. Just be. I don't know if that's the name of it or not. Um, maybe in Diaz. Uh, what's his name? Johnny? I don't know. Oh, come on. You guys are no help at all when I get stuck. I should have, if I didn't have it in my notes, if I don't have it in my notes, I'm sunk. Huh? You know what it is? Oh, man. Okay. Hey, I will re I'll get a clip of it and play it next week. All right. Just be. Just be. We're all busy doing and doing and doing. And, 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 and you're so busy that you never get time to you avoid Bible study. You're not taking time to pray. And you justify it because all the stuff you're doing. And God wants you to be before you do. Because, see, people get all confused about it. you gotta, you got to do in order to be. But no, you or be before you do. And, and people argue about that and argue about that. And finally, even Sinatra put it in a song, you know. Doobie, doobie, do. You know, like that. But you, but honestly, according to scripture, you have to be before you can do. That's where it starts with what's going on in your heart. We've got this opportunity to serve the Lord because of what he wants to make us on the inside and, and changes our whole state of being. God has something particular that he wants to do. I think through this group of believers in this community and around the world that you are used by God to impact this community and the world as we give a great portion of our budget to spread the gospel around the world. And, but it's not just sending it on. It's what are we doing here? And are we willing to roll up our sleeves and get our hands dirty? Have you noticed? I just can't hardly preach with my sleeves down. I just need to roll up my sleeves. And maybe that's symbolic. Let's all roll up our sleeves. Not right not, not now. But you know what I mean. Symbolically, we need to roll up our sleeves. Be willing to get our hands dirty out there in the world and be so we can do. Now, we've received this. Why have we received it? Why do we have it? Why? I've not gotten past the first sentence, have I? Having this ministry by the mercy of... The rest of it goes faster, by the way. Having this ministry by the mercy of God. It's through His mercy. We don't deserve it. The only thing we deserve is to be punished. The only thing we deserve, the only thing we earn on our own would be hell. So not only do we escape the punishment of God against sin, but we have the power and the blessing of God to have Him doing a work in us and through us for his kingdom's sake, his forever kingdom. So it's not just about me being saved and going to heaven, not about getting you and me out of earth and into heaven. It's about Christ leaving heaven and coming into our hearts and living in us and through us here. Isn't that amazing, huh? Amen. So, what you may call your ministry is actually supposed to be this. It's what God is doing in and through you that reflects his own glory. It's not what God's doing that just makes me feel better about myself, right? I like to feel good about myself. I do. There are a lot of times I don't feel very good about myself. But it's not so much about that. It's about what is it that I am that, that I am allowing God to do in my life and through my life that reflects His glory. Whether I'm noticed or anything doesn't matter. Okay, that's what, that's what we're motivated by. 
That's what, the, that's what your ministry really is. Um, the way you look at this, it helps determine how you're going to fulfill it. If you look at serving Christ as a burden rather than a privilege, it will be a drag. When Paul considered the fact that he was a servant, a minister of Jesus Christ, he was overwhelmed. By the grace and mercy of God and his positive attitude toward the ministry, it had practical consequences in his daily life. All right. All right. Let's move on. There's a couple more words I want to throw at you there. That was the main one. That's a big one. All right. But because of that, we have steadfastness. Now, we're going to flow right out of this into what he follows up saying. He said, now, because of this and this motivation and this focus and this perspective, we do not lose heart. Now, I said the old King James says we don't faint. It doesn't mean like, oh, you know, and pass out. It really, it literally means to give up. The word that is translated there literally means to give up. It means to act like a coward, lose courage. We're not going to do that. Remember, he was maligned and slandered by some of these people in Corinth. Some of these people that he helped. Some of these people that he tried to lead to Christ. They turned around and slandered him. They were false teachers. They were twisting the word. They were saying Paul said stuff that he didn't say. Uh, They were motivated by greed, many of them, and by the flesh. And then they would turn around and accuse Paul of the very things that they were doing. If you know your context, you know that. But if you didn't, that's, that's what's been going on here and why he writes this letter and God uses it to teach us. But yet Paul loves these people. And nothing hurts worse than when people we love turn on us and try to hurt us. Does it? Satan knows that. But yet Paul receives strength and courage and is motivated to keep going because of one thing. It's what he's been talking about. It's because he's looking at and keeping his focus on Jesus. He's seen the glory and it's changed his life. There's no going back. There's no giving up now. All right. So the question is, where's your focus? Is it just on church stuff? That's why we can get, we can get just focused on that instead of focused on him and his kingdom. Where's your focus? Is it on yourself? Is your main focus about all of this on yourself? Is it even on your kids? When you do what you do just because of the kids, that's good, but it needs to be more than that. Is it just, is your focus on your money? Is your focus on your income, on your bottom line, your personal ambitions? I mean, it's it's okay to, to, to be aware and to be good stewards of those things, but yet our main focus has to be on Christ if his glory is gonna reflect through us. Right back to himself, all right? So there's that steadfastness. We don't lose heart. We're motivated, so we're steadfast, okay? You see how that works? That's what Paul's telling us. But then another word is integrity. We're motivated, we're steadfast, and it's gonna produce integrity. Now, there's a word we don't use enough anymore. There's two parts to this. There's moral integrity and there's doctrinal integrity. And that's kind of what he's talking about. Uh, uh, So that that means to, to be totally solid and in line with what is good and right. When a person is truly born again, he tells us here, and you see the glory of God, it's like the veil is lifted. And you see and you know God in your heart. And it motivates us to another synonym for this is purity, holiness. In our lives. So we're talking about with integrity. It's you living the way God says. When no one's around. And no one's looking and listening. Okay. Right. Okay. It's living for God and doing the right thing. Even if you did something else. And you knew you wouldn't get caught. You don't. You still don't do it. Okay. Are you following me on this? 
I'm getting a lot of blank looks. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm not doing a very good job of explaining it. So I humble myself in repentance. And I humble myself in that way. And I trust him. And I receive this from him. The natural response is obedience, that I want to live the way he wants me to live. So to humble myself in repentance and obedience is a natural response to his mercy when I understand that. That's what I want to do because I want to receive this. I want to bow before him. I want to turn to him. I want to follow him. Um, In other words, people who claim to be Christians and we just go on with no regard for how God says to do or to believe and, and to be, all of that, and we have bad attitudes, maybe we've really not understood. Maybe we've really not seen how awesome and glorious that God is. Maybe the veil is still there. Maybe we just don't get it. That's part of what he's kind of bringing out here. He says that we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. All right? So, uh, underhanded or hidden things of darkness... Uh, however that's translated, I can tell you what the word, that all of those words in different translations are, are translated from. It's the Greek word kruptos, 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 however you want to say it. All right? That's what the word is. And we actually get the word crypt from that in English. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, it, it's very, very interesting because what is a crypt? Here's what it is. Now, follow this because the reason why the Holy Spirit chose that word is a crypt is a secret chamber. It's a place that's a secret compartment or a chamber. That's what a crypt is. You think of a crypt, you think of some type of tomb or something because of movies and all. But that's not actually what the word's original meaning is. Now, it's true that in the old days, some churches had, uh, when they had to meet in secret and they were being persecuted, they had hidden vaults underneath where they met. And then sometimes they met where people were buried there too. Um, But uh, today, uh, we use the word in a different way. So uh, a crypt would be a secret compartment, a secret vault, a secret box that you would keep something in that you didn't want others to see. All right? That's the origin of the word. We have it today because now if you're sending like text messages or if you're sending email and you don't want, or if you're like online banking, right? And you don't want a hacker to be able to, to, to get what you're sending and use it against you, they in. Aha! They encrypt it. That's where this word... It's all about these words. They encrypt it. And that is, it is a secret code uh, that's sent and interpreted so that hackers can't get it. Right? All right. So he says this. He says um, that we've renounced those hidden things. Those, uh, as it says here, underhanded. It's underhanded, hidden, secret things. So... It's a secret chamber or vault. It's a place to keep hidden things. In the old days, as I said, churches had those. But now, how many of us have private lives that are kept in the crypt? Encrypted. We have this secret little chamber chamber in our lives. Sometimes there can be some nasty, rotten, shameful stuff. That's what Paul's talking about here. We're announcing that. And because it's coming evidence that some of these that were doing these things had secret compartments in their lives. They were, that's where their motivation was coming from. So we're not only motivated to reject those things, but he says that they're they're disgraceful. uh, But he said that we renounce them. And you use that word, I renounce you, right? And so you'll hear people say stuff like that. Well, it's a pretty interesting word because he says we renounce those things, um, 
he says, we, we renounce the disgraceful, under, underhanded ways. Now, the word comes from a Greek word that literally means to speak away. It's a compound word. It means away and to speak or to command. And so basically, those secret things in your own life, renounce them. That means you, 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 maybe you need to say it out, out loud. But basically, what you're doing is those secret things that Satan tries to pile up and hide in our lives, you tell them off. That's literally what that word means. You could translate it that way. To speak away. You reject it. You might even verbally, you tell, you, you need to open up that crypt. You need to declare out loud to the devil, to your flesh, whoever needs to hear, get out of my life and stay out in Jesus' name. You tell it off. <laughs> or otherwise, it's just going to stay there. That has to happen to get freedom. So we, we do this. We, it's an act of your will. But yet it comes from your reaction to the glory of God that's been revealed to you that he talked about in chapter 3 and now is alluding to in chapter 4. So there's moral integrity that we renounce these kinds of things in our lives. And then he says, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. There's doctrinal integrity. I want to be careful how I handle God's word. He says, I don't have something. There were people that were mishandling it. I don't have anything to hide here. He said, um, I'm very careful, you know, about all this as a teacher and a preacher. He is not walking in craftiness or to be cunning. That means to trick someone. And, and when he says that, we refuse to practice cunning, that there's some that were doing that, that they were being crafty. The word literally means to set a trap for someone. He's not handling the word of God or tampering with the word of God. That is being deceitful with it, tricking people with the word of God. He's not doing that, but there are folks that do. That's why you need to know what's right so you don't fall prey to it because it can happen. The false teachers claim to base what they say on the word of God, but they handle it in a deceptive way is what he's saying. And, and you can almost try to prove anything with the Bible if you bend it and are twisting it enough and taking it out of context enough, right? Just like other things. Um, if you also reject the witness of your own conscience. Warren Wiersbe, as I alluded to earlier, says this. He says, the Bible is a book of literature and it must be interpreted according to the fundamental rules of interpretation. If people treated other books the way they treat the Bible, they would never learn anything. False teachers have an agenda, though, and that's what Paul is exposing. So we're to have nothing to hide in our personal lives or in the ministry or the service of God's word. He says that we don't tamper we don't tamper. That word, it's like we don't handle it deceitfully. No tampering or handling deceitful. And what that word is a word that literally means to adulterate. It's what the word means. And that is when you add an ingredient and it dilutes everything. It was used in making wine. It was used in, in gold. That if you, and so here's the thing. We don't, we don't dilute God's word. And, 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 and one way you dilute it is to take out of it and not Tell the whole story. Another way you dilute it is you add something to it. And it dilutes. If you have milk and you add water to it, you've diluted it. Okay? And so he says, that's what we got to guard against. And that's what we're not doing, he said. But some were doing it. We got to be on guard that this is the thing in our, that the trend has always been, especially these days, to add a little mysticism, to add a little legalism, or that you've got to be some initiated person into the realm of those who have found some hidden, mysterious knowledge that others don't have, or you have some super, super incredible. Jesus natural, supernatural Jesus experience that elevates you to a higher plane than everybody else. And now you know of things that no one else can know. There's a lot of that. We need to get in the word of God. 
and, 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 and stick to it, right? Uh, there's, there's just all kinds of things like this used to intimidate people um, and to elevate people to elevate themselves. And so that's part of what he's dealing with here because there was a group of people already gaining traction in that day. They claimed to have special knowledge that others didn't have. They were known as the Gnostics. Maybe you've heard that before. And that was a growing false teaching uh, that we don't have time to go into, but that was something that Paul was already battling there. And uh, so a sure mark of a growing Christian, though, get this, is a love for biblical truth. You don't want to be misled. You don't want to. And I found some people, they're so busy trying to find some secret code, some hidden message in the scripture that they get themselves all messed up. You can count. You're on the wrong track. Some secret thing that nobody else really knows, right? I want to tell you something. There's enough real plain, easy to understand stuff in the Bible to keep me busy the rest of my life. Right? It's kind of like Mark Twain, who wasn't known to be a Christian, said, he says, it's not the stuff that I don't understand in the Bible that bothers me the most. It's the stuff that I do understand really well that bothers me the most. Right? There's enough right here in black and white that's easy to understand to keep you busy. Quit trying to find something that's not there or bend it or twist it to make it fit something else that you want. And that's why he said that we, we don't tire of these. We keep growing in it. In 1 Peter 2, 2, he says, Like newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. That's what we're to do. We're to start that way. Some, some never want to progress. And then others are new Christians and they gag themselves on, on steak when they really need milk, right? And as a body believers, part of our, our thing is to try to help people grow through that and to desire the word of God that way. The word of God is our spiritual nourishment. Did you know that? 1 Timothy 4, 6, he says, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister. There's a minister again. Servant of Jesus Christ. Nourished. See that? Nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine. The word doctrine means teaching. That's all that word means. It means teaching. The good teaching which you have carefully followed. You're following just what I taught you and what Jesus showed me. All right. And so the last thing, let's wrap it up. Woo! I've never thought I was going to say that. <laughs> or sometimes when I say it, it doesn't mean anything, right? All right. All right. There's one last slide, I think, on here, and I can't, I, I, I can't get it to go. Uh, but anyway, uh, one, one last or two. So it's a ministry to share the word. Ministry for evangelism. That's what the rest of this passage is all about. Because he says that, here's what we do. He says, but by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So I am, I am making known God's truth. And I'm appealing to your conscience. I haven't tricked you. I haven't deceived you. And he says, and in the sight of God. Two things. Your conscience that God has put in you and God himself is holding me accountable. So that's what Paul said there when he said to every man's conscience in the sight of God. He said, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, those who are lost. He says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ, that Shekinah glory, that true presence of God that is only in the gospel, that they have let the enemy. Who's the God of this world? It's Satan. They've allowed Satan to blind their minds. They can't see it. It's like the veil is still there. Even in the Old Testament temple, in the presence of God, that Shekinah glory was behind the veil in the Holy of Holies. And what happened when Christ died on the cross? The veil of the temple was ripped from top to bottom. The way is open to know God and to the glory of God. And he said those who are veiled have a veil because that can't see it because they've let Satan blind them. They don't want to see it. And you cannot want to see something to the point that you can't see it. 
That's what's happened to some, he said. Christ is the glory, to the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He says, for we proclaim, it's not ourselves. What we're proclaiming, it's all about this. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's why he says in verse 5. He said, with ourselves, you're what? Servants. I am serving you. That's ministry. We're serving one another. Why? Did you read the rest of that? For Jesus' sake. It's because of him again. It's what I do to glorify him. What I do is how I can forgive you when you don't deserve it. By the way, true forgiveness is never deserved or earned. It's a gift. Or else it's not forgiveness. It's payback. That's how we can do that. That's how we can love those who hate us. That's how we can say good things to those who say bad things about us. That's how all that happens. Jesus' sake. It's not about us. It's about him. And all the glory goes to God. All the glory says, for God who said, let light shine out of the darkness. He is that glory. He is that Shekinah. He's shown into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge. There's that word gnosis. The true knowledge of the glory of God. Where? In the face, not of Moses, not of anywhere, but in the face of what? What does he say? Jesus Christ. It's all about him. That's why we have this ministry. That's why we don't lose heart. You think that's great? There's more, but we're going to save it for a while, okay? Let's focus on this. That motivation, that steadfastness, that integrity, doctrinally and morally, and that evangelism as we spread the gospel because we can't be quiet. Let's pray. Father, thank you.